0: Welcome to No Diagnostic Required, the companion show to the C++ Annotated Newsletter. This is the third episode, so that's episode two, of course, and the first of 2021. I'm Phil Nash, developer advocate at JetBrains. I'm joined by my co-host, Anastasia Kazakova. Anastasia, how are you this year?
1: Good, good. Actually, back to work after the very long holidays here in Russia.
0: Well, that's good because we're all very, very serious here at JetBrains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always, yeah. So, anyway, this is actually our January episode, and we were totally intending to record it in January, but you know how these things go. But, you know, better late than never. And uh, we're going to kick off actually with some news from Microsoft land. So, Anastasia, do you want to take this one?
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the tools. So, and our first news is actually faster C iteration builds in Visual Studio. So, Visual Studio team recently posted in their blog about speeding up the inner loop, the like edit build debug loop. So, and the improvements were done in two directions. The first one is to PDB, to the program database uh, creation and debug interface access algorithm, which were improved. So, and the main effort, I would say that is to avoid the search by relative virtual address by caching the results of the previous request. And this caching gave them a very good improvement, I would say. So they reported something like, double speed up of initial PDB load and up to 1.5 speed up for full linking and the same uh, in many other places. And I would say I was impressed because you probably know that we have our own um, LDB-based debugger for Microsoft Toolchain and we were struggling with many similar issues and we were investigating many ways to improve. And so this was really interesting findings. And also the second direction they took was the better worst case incremental linking because like, um, when you do the incremental linking, there is always a worse case when you just fall back to the full linking. And for huge projects, the problem is that the incremental linking, which falls back to the full linking might get even worse than just the full linking. <laughs> uh, funny enough, but yeah, they were trying to improve that case as well. Also taking some caching as an idea. So the idea was the to cache the results of the earlier debug information generation which actually gave them a very nice 2 to 5x uh, speed up. But of course, there are downsides, like the PDB file uh, becomes larger because it now stores the cache and the first clean link uh, or the incremental build takes longer. But still, a very nice improvement, I would say. And the way I actually noticed the news was that... Um, Iris from Unity in his Twitter, he pointed to that news from Visual Studio and he noted that in Unity they were using fast, fast link. That's a way to improve linking by keeping debug information in the original, uh, object files. So, and they had issues with the third party code, uh, which was not understanding the debug info format. So they moved away from that uh, with Visual Studio 2019, and they were suffering from the slower debugging, and they were really impressed with the optimization and... As far as I got the linking, uh, a full Unity editor in release uh, takes something about 20 seconds, which is a huge improvement to them, I would say. And they can now avoid the fast link, which as far as I understand uh, from RS, they kind of like a lot. So yeah, that sounds nice. And you can go through the details in the Visual Studio blog if you would like to learn more numbers and more uh, you know, techniques, what they exactly were doing there in terms of the algorithms. Yeah, it's
0: easy to underestimate just how much link times can affect your your overall build times true but true previous job i had uh we, we i mean to be fair we had a lot of template code and uh yeah that was mostly my fault to be honest but but the trouble with lots of templates is they tend to instantiate lots of the same types in different translation units and then the linker has a responsibility de deduplicating all of that plus lots of other things and yeah, link times were really a killer for us, especially for incremental builds. So it's really good to see uh, you know such big improvements on on link times from the from the Microsoft compiler here.
1: Yeah, that's true. Let's move forward with uh, some more tools here. So and uh... As we say, like we were kind of busy in JetBrains, so we started the Alexis program for Cline for 2021.1, and the biggest thing which already entered the preview, so you can try it out, is the global data flow analysis. So uh, the story is that previously we had local data flow analysis, which can capture actually a lot of things like enrichable and unused code and some potential dangling pointer and all the um, similar stuff. And last year we moved the local data flow analysis to Clang-D based engine. So it's now like kind of more accurate and performs better. But then we added the global DFA, which is a interprocedural data flow analysis. So it works inside the translation unit. And it gives you much more information because of that. So it's not just like local to the function body, but it's the whole translation unit. So, for example, it can capture the like dangling pointer when the pointer is cleaned in a separate function, which is much more than just you know capturing a dangling pointer inside a function. Uh, It captures the dead code when the function call is only happening under, for example, always false condition, and then the function body is a dead code. Uh, Null dereferencing also. And the condition when the actual, like, null assignment happens in some separate function and all the stuff. But also, in addition to enriching the current inspection, it also brings some new inspections like unreachable call sites when all function calls are unreachable in translation unit or the constant function results and constant function arguments. This is actually kind of cool. Interestingly, like I would personally expect that the analysis is much slower now because it collects lots of information about the translation unit. And indeed, so we measured that the uh, first step, which is the collection of the relations, is kind of a little bit slower. But because of all the optimizations inside the next step, which is the biggest part of the whole analysis, uh, the calculation of all the resulting relations is actually faster. And moreover, the timeouts for data flow analysis, these are the timeouts which are happening when the analysis is just cancelled automatically by the IDE after the five seconds uh, default delay. Uh, The number of these timeouts actually decrease. So um, we produced a few like measurements with some nice charts in the blog post. So you can like uh, check them out and check the analysis. But I would say the result is actually very, very impressive to me. We're still on it, so we're still like tuning it, but I would assume lots of goodies uh, inside this global DFA inside C-Line. So yeah, give it a go and let us know what you think. <laughs> if it captures at least one dangling, real dangling pointer for you in a production code, I would be super helpful, I would say. It's
0: really good to see so much work and, and effort going into this. It reminds me of uh, you know, a few years ago when I first saw Herb unveiling the um, core guidelines. And uh, one of the promises was that we would be able to just deal with raw pointers most of the time because analysis tools will be able to catch when we have dangling pointers and things. And, you know, subsequently we sort of backed away from that a bit because it turned out to be really hard to to do that in the, in the general case. But it's um, obviously a really valuable thing to have built into our tools. So anything that we can do to make that a bit closer to reality. Um, it's it's got to be a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, and actually, like, that was mostly about the tools. And now maybe we can move to some new goodies in the language. So what are the news, Phil?
0: Yeah, so since uh, the Standards Committee has uh, moved online to to deal with the pandemic, they've actually also moved the uh, the mailings that were usually just before or after the, uh, the committee meetings. They're now monthly. So we have a January mailing. And obviously there's there's quite a few uh, papers in there, about 30, I think. Uh, so we're not going to go through them all, but just uh, picked out a few that I think would be be interesting. Uh, the first one, actually, it's not a new paper. It's, uh, it's been around since 2016. Uh, there was actually quite a good episode from the author on uh, CPP Cast a few years ago. I'll try and put a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, just going into what this is. But this is a Stood Colony. And it's a new type of container. This is on uh, revision 12 now, the paper. Uh, and it's interesting this particular revision uh, doesn't really contain a lot of substantial changes. it's just a fixing up things here and there. So it seems to be, you know getting to that point we're just polishing it, hopefully ready to be approved. Uh, I've been hearing good things about it, a lot of interest in it. But what is a colony? Let's say it's a container type. In, in many ways, you would use it very similarly to how you would use a vector. So we think of vector as like this default uh, array type container where we just want to put objects in and we're not worried about associating it with other types of data. But it has a few problems because when you when you push things in, if it reaches the capacity, it's got to reallocate all of those elements. That means you've got to copy them as well. So, well, first of all, the items have to be copyable. But if those, if you have pointers or references or iterators into any of those elements, obviously they become invalidated. And that may not be what you want. You may want things to just, once they're in memory, they just want to live there. And, of course, you can put them all in shared pointers or something, but then you've got the overhead of the the individual memory allocations, as well as the pointer pointer management and so on. So, yeah, there's not really a very satisfactory way of doing that, given what we have in a standard today. What Colony does is it doesn't promise contiguous memory. So if you need contiguous memory, that's out. Um, And ordering is not necessarily preserved as well, uh, and you'll see why in a moment. So it would allocate memory in blocks at a time, chunks at a time, and then add things in much like a vector uh, into each block. But if you delete something from a colony, it just marks it as removed and, and gets skipped over. And in the the classic colony pattern, uh, every missing uh, spot in the in the colony will have an individual flag. But in the the proposed version for uh, for C it, if there are several consecutive slots to be skipped, it just records that it's got to skip n number of, of slots. So it's a bit of an optimization. So a few little optimizations like that. Let's say on revision twelve, now it's gone through quite a a process of of improvement. Um and a lot of people interested in it from uh, particularly games background that they're really interested in this, but it's actually quite a useful general purpose facility. So you get most of the cache locality benefits of a vector, everything is still fairly close together in memory. And another thing that's an optimization for this particular proposal is having removed something from a colony and you've now got this free space in there, if you then insert a new item, rather than putting it on the end it will put it in the first available slot. And that's why I say the ordering is not, you know, you've got to give up uh, your ordering constraints in order to achieve that as well. But that means that everything's going to be close together, uh, particularly when you're iterating. There's only going to be a few spots where you may have to uh, skip from one cache line to the next uh, prematurely. So it's almost as good that in that respect as vector, but you get all of these benefits of things staying in a fixed location in memory. So you can have pointers, iterators and so on not being invalidated by mutating the overall container. So really useful. And it doesn't actually take that long to explain. It's actually fairly simple. But what I found is every time I hear about it, I think, oh yeah, that that makes sense. I understand. That that sounds really useful. And then the next time I hear about it, I think, so what's colony again? So I've tried to explain it now. So
1: Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. Yeah.
0: It's just one of those things. Yeah,
1: I'm actually wondering, uh, you mentioned that it might be interesting to the game dev. So taking into consideration that they're mostly you know, like, you know, with arrays as their main structure, as their main container. So how would they feel about the colony? So would they maybe adopt it in some way?
0: Well, I think this has mostly come from the game developer community. Hmm. Uh, the, the thing with game developers is they tend to build their own... Containers again and again and again, yeah. and this is one of the things that they build a lot. So it makes sense to look at you know, existing practice and say this is something that's going to be generally useful. Let's let's standardize it. But most of that experience, as far as I understand, has come from the games industry because you you do have like game objects that will the pop up and then they last for their lifetime and they go away. And of yeah. course, you could create individual blocks of memory for them, hold them in pointers. But as I said, often you just want to have some array of these that doesn't matter where they are doesn't matter how they relate to each other you just want to put them in there and they sort of live in that colony that, that's where the name comes from
1: yeah yeah that's true and they reuse the memory usually like not exactly
0: remaining. exactly that that's sort of not part of the um the generic pattern but th- this particular proposal does allow you to reuse slots that have been freed up that way yeah
1: yeah, wondering if there is anything similar in uh, electronic arts STL version similar to the colony. Not sure, like I haven't remembered.
0: Looked, quite possibly, but yeah, no idea. Be interesting yeah, to find out. Maybe
1: some of our listeners knows.
0: <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, next uh, proposal to look at is P two two three two. Now it has the title Zero Overhead Deterministic Exceptions Catching Values. that sounds familiar, it's because P0709 is zero overhead deterministic exceptions throwing values. And that similarity is deliberate. This is a bit of a play on that or more of uh, an answer to that, because P0709, which is something I've talked about a lot before, is a proposal for a a new form of error handling that looks very similar to the exceptions that we have today, uh, but works slightly differently. It's got slightly different syntax slightly different constraints and guarantees. Um, and it's meant to address some fundamental needs that have been identified. Now P2232, it plays on that title because it's trying to say, actually, we can get most of those benefits that, that we wanted from P00709. But without new syntax, without having to do anything different, just by optimizing the infrastructure that we already have. And it's a proposal for that. But What's interesting is we talked last month about Boost Leaf, which is an an error handling library that's just been adopted into Boost. This paper's by the same author, and it's basically taking the ideas from Boostleaf and saying, why don't we bake that into the language? What would that give us? What could that look like? And the idea here is that when you catch, because we talk to catch exceptions by reference usually, if you catch them by value, he's saying... Well, then these new guarantees would would kick in where uh, exception objects are created in thread local storage. In fact, they're already in. There's already thread local storage involved in exception handling today in most implementations. So this is not really uh, anything that that new. But the object itself would be allocated there, um, and all that's passed down the stack is just the bit that says whether something failed or not, and that could potentially be passed in the same register a bit that p0709 talks about so almost no overhead effectively no overhead on on the stack no overhead uh in the uh, the happy path case so same as exceptions today but in the case where an error is thrown there's also much less overhead because you don't have the uh, the dynamic allocation and the rtti to to look them up because you're dealing with values now and there's some implications to that. You have to deal with slicing instead of object hierarchies. It's all dealt with in the paper. It's uh, it's actually quite interesting. I, like, I to lay my cards on the table, don't agree with all of it. Uh, I'm a big fan of P0709, as most people that know me would know. But nonetheless, some of the ideas here, uh, and, and of course in Boostleaf as well, are very interesting and definitely we should be paying attention to them, especially since even if we do go down the path of P0709, we're still going to need to to live with today's exceptions. And if we can optimize that further, that's also going to be a good thing. Uh and, and maybe we don't even need to do that. So yeah, I'm I'm interested in this proposal, even if I don't entirely agree with it.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering how many zero overhead deterministic exceptions. Stunting proposals are there <laughs> right now in work.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting problem because one of C++'s core tenets is having zero overhead abstractions, uh, whereas exceptions, which are also seem to be fundamental to C++, um, we say that they violate that principle because, at least on the um, the error path, they have the overhead, non-deterministic overhead of allocations and, and RTTI. So th- this is why it's something that people have got very interested in because it's really trying to reconcile these core core parts yeah, of the Yeah, but English. that
1: was the reason why the people were not using them. Maybe this will now move them to actual usage. I mean, like quite many people are like staying away from exceptions. Exactly because right. of that reason. I mean, like, and that was the whole goal of all these proposals, I guess, just to resolve that.
0: Yeah, to, to unify the the community was one of the um the, the claims of P0709. Interestingly, this one, two, two, three, two. Uh tries to play on that as well a bit and say that um yeah the the claim is made that the the community is fragmented by these different error handling techniques. So we'll solve it by adding another one. <laughs> you know, there's an XKCD reference <laughs> in there as well, but um I, I won't I won't link that one for now.
1: <laughs> yep. Um
0: anyway. The next proposal to look at is P2168, Stud Generator. Well, there's a full name, but std generator is all you need to know. So, we've got coroutines in C20, which is great, but just the language features, really. To make coroutines really work, you need library support as well, and it didn't make it in for, for 20. So, there is a um, a GitHub repo from uh, Lewis Baker, uh, CPP Coro. Um, you hear it mentioned a lot. We'll, we'll put a link in. This is basically the um, sort of de facto coroutines library that you should probably use at at least as a reference in fact that's the idea it's meant to be a reference for potential standardization for a coroutines library because coroutines are more like a um you know a construction kit for coroutines just the language features and the nuts and bolts and the the hooks you actually need to build the coroutines themselves for different purposes one of those purposes would be a generator it's probably one of the simplest ones which is really just like a lazy producer of values. So rather than having to construct eagerly some array or vector or colony, the values, um, you construct them on the fly, but you can you can work with them um, as if they were a container. So ranges already gives you uh, a, a way of doing this, and that's important. So this is a a library feature to give you generators with co readings which works with ranges. So you, those two things work well together, which is quite nice. And another interesting feature of this is that um, it can be recursive. So it can call other generators on the same type, including the same generator. So it can actually re- refer back to itself. Uh, and that there are some reasons that that could be useful All gone into in the paper. So they thought for all of this. The proposal is from Lewis Baker, uh, the author of uh, CPP Coro and uh, Corentin uh, Jabal. So it's got the right heritage. So I'm suspecting this is going to sail through the, the standardization process, make it into 23. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't. Uh, it's really just a first step, though. There's other more ambitious types of co-routings that uh, we're waiting for as well. But it's good to see that process start and getting this in the process
1: yeah true i think like so many people are excited about the coroutines but they do not realize there is still a huge bunch of work to be done i mean like yeah like this one
0: we we actually had a, a talk on coroutines at the last c++ london i'll put a link to that in and it was a uh like a 90 minute talk and a lot of people who are well you consider them experts at c++ many on the standards committee and it you can see that a lot of them were still struggling to follow some of the details of how coroutines work. It's gonna take a while for us to really fully embrace them. But at the moment where it's all nuts and bolts, it, it is really only experts that can work with them. And even then only a few of them. Yeah. Once we get these libraries that will make it accessible for application developers, that's really gonna be when we, we start to see coroutines adoption, I think.
1: Yeah, that's true. We actually started looking at coroutines in our tools. I mean, like we just opened um uh... Maybe a couple of hours ago, we just opened the ReSharper C plus plus where we added the postfix completion for coroutines, some coroutine related postfix completion. So this is kind of a small step, but still very nice. So yeah, coroutines are coming.
0: Absolutely, yeah, not avoiding them. <laughs> Talking of not avoiding things, safety and security is definitely something we can't avoid. Um, but C plus hasn't got a great reputation in this area although it is a desirable language for many of the systems that actually need to embrace it it's like a bit of a, a paradox really so p2272 which wasn't in the january mailing it was actually in the december one but we didn't talk about it then i just thought it was important enough to to bring it forward now is actually a proposal to create a review group within the committee uh drawn from industry experts by invitation only at least initially so this is not just like anyone can join and just say, yeah, yeah, I know all about security. No, no, this is people recognised as being experts in these fields are going to um, inform and um, advise the committee. And I'm going to review papers that that may have an impact here. And particularly C++, one of the, the strengths of C++ is embracing things like undefined behaviour for performance purposes. Uh, where, you know, if you don't actually touch it, you just allow it to be there, then, then that's great. But that opens it up for, well, what happens if you do actually hit it? Because, you know, no code is, is perfect. So a lot of these um, these reviews will be around, you know, how can you make those things safe while also retaining that, you know, core tenet, again, of zero overhead abstractions and not paying for what you don't use. So, you know, that raw performance of C++ while also being safe and secure, that's the the uh, the magic bullet really that we're aiming for. So it's great to see a a review group being set up by um well Mat- Matthew Butler who's proposing this who's definitely um in that domain himself. So I hope he knows what he's talking about, um because it's it's definitely not my domain.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, I'm wondering what exactly they're gonna do. I mean, like, will they just review and advise, or just bring some new proposals focused on safety or just revise some, I don't know, old practices?
0: So my reading of the paper is that they are just there to advise uh, and re- review papers that are proposed rather than bringing forward papers of their own. And that doesn't mean that they won't ever write papers. unless um, unless it's explicitly disallowed, but I can't see that happening. Uh, but I think certainly the intention is for it mostly just to be an advisory role. Uh, okay. But yeah, w- that's what we need.
1: Yeah, that would be very interesting to see how that work out.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and obviously it's just a proposal at this stage, as all of these are. None of them are in the standard yet. None of them have been um, accepted at this point. That's the, the purpose of this uh, this section, just to show what may be coming down the road and hopefully has a good chance of, of doing so, because these are all things that I, I certainly support, with the possible exception mm-hmm. of uh, the, the error handling one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Okay, well, that's all the um, the papers I wanted to talk about. Um, did you want to start uh, telling us about conferences and events that are coming up?
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the communities and some community events. Even though, like, yeah, that's another year of many things happening just online, And ACCU 2021 will be online, so March 9 to March 14, including pre- and post-conference workshop days. But I would say a very good deal, because it's like something about 50% discount on the usual fees, and the tickets are already on sale, and also the, like, shuttle is announced, so you can go on and check the shuttle and, like, buy a ticket, and, like, I was in the program committee, so I would say that it was a tough choice to select all the talks because to tell you the truth, like there are lots of talks on c plus plus twenty and there were a lot of people collapsing on the same topic I mean, like I've seen many times when the same people were submitting very similar topics on some new c plus plus twenty and we had a very tough choice to select like one out of two or three that was really tough, but now the program is packed with lots of things from c plus plus twenty I think this is maybe the first time I see the ACCU so much focused on one standard inside the program. <laughs> but also, like, it's not only about the C20 and even not just about the C++. So, like, as usual, ACCU is a lot about the internal uh, programming techniques and, like, good practices. So there are lots of these things as well. And the keynote speakers are, like, Cavalini which I love a lot. So I would be really happy to listen to his keynotes and Patricia As and Sean Parent. So like, yeah, lots of good things there. Um, One side thing here is a very sad news regarding the Russell Winter, who was actually a conference uh, chair for ACCU for a very, very long time. Uh, the role moved uh, recently recently several years ago to Felix Petriconi and Russell actually has passed away uh, and that's a very, very sad news. I would say like to me, Russell brought me personally to ACCU and I always used to joke that there is no programming language. It doesn't exist if Russell is not coding in it because he was coding in everything and yeah, it's really sad he's no longer with us. So uh, there will be the first ever ACC online without Russell. And I pretty much sure will remember Russell for his contribution and the passion and the energy. And we send our sincere words to, of support to his family. But let's move to another conferences. So uh, we have also C++ Now 2021 also unexpectedly online. I was not expecting that actually for C++ Now, but it is like May 2nd to May 7th. So the registration is open and the call for submission, uh, they both are open now. And C++ Now is known as a very academic and expert-like event. So probably due to its roots in the Boost Developers events. And there is a nice, fantastic week in Aspen, Colorado, uh, fully packed with a really hardcore C++ when at 7 o'clock in the morning, you meet a group of people coding in a library and at 10 p.m. in the evening, they're still coding the library. And in between, yeah, they did a couple of talks and lightnings. And I think uh, this will be kind of different this year. What do you think, Phil? Do you plan to submit, by the way? <laughs> well,
0: okay, <clears throat> two very different questions there. it's definitely going to be different but i think possibly in a good way because as you say it's it's got a bit of a reputation as an experts conference but it doesn't mean it's not a welcoming conference Uh, i've I've met quite a few people that are quite new to c++ who have gone to c++ now in the past and had a really great time and really been uh, been drawn into the community but it's also quite ex- an expensive one to get to. Usually, being up in in the mountains at Aspen on a ski resort, and even though it's off season, the hotel's still quite expensive. Uh, so, especially you're travelling from from Europe or, or further afield. Um, not everyone's been able to get there, but of course, you know this year those barriers are down. Um, so, it, it could well open up to a lot more people, and that's going to be an interesting dynamic. You know, if a lot more people will meet that sort of experts uh, type of program it's going to be interesting to see what that's like and what that results from but yeah, it is true no that,
1: bears <laughs> right no well,
0: <laughs> probably no bears but we'll see i mean on the <laughs> internet who can tell but uh, it is true that the that the venue in in past years has definitely been an integral part of of the experience so yeah we'll, we'll definitely do something we're losing something from all of these events that they've moved online but let's not forget what we're gaining as well so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that's like. And I do intend to submit something, but I haven't quite pinned down what yet. But I've still got a couple of weeks. So yeah,
1: plenty of time. February 14th, I guess, is the date.
0: <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh there is also one more event, and I think Phil, oh, you know better actually,
0: about it. Re- rewinding, we we've we've got a forgot a bit about C now. On the on the homepage there is a oh, yeah. there's a video from um, taken from past events. Yeah, you know, just advertising what it's like to go there, and say emphasizing that location, which is actually quite special. If you do watch the video, though, it's interviews with people that uh, they're attending and speaking there. You might recognise a couple of the characters. So we're, we're dead. <laughs> we both feature in there, so uh, you'll have to watch the video to find out what we say. But um, spoiler: it's all positive stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah, so the next conference to talk about. I'll talk about because it's my conference, or at least I'm the organizer. So C++ on C, um, it's going to be the third year. We've only actually had one year where we've met in person, uh, sadly. But um, last year we, we moved online, and that was uh, definitely, a, I would say, a qualified success. It was uh, one of the first um, conferences, certainly in our community, to move online. So yeah, we were learning a lot of stuff as we went along, but a lot of people did feel it was like one of the first events they've been to online that managed to capture some of the the experience of actually being there meeting people in in person because a lot of what you go to a conference for is is not the sessions it's what goes on between them um and you know since then a lot of other conferences have perfected this art we're getting better at it but as we go into the second year of doing that well i don't know i personally feel like we should try to do something a bit different try to embrace this new format so for C++ on CE 2021, which is going to be online again, we're actually going to move to put a bit more emphasis on the workshops. And if you have not really attended the workshops before, you may think, oh, that's a bit of a step back. But actually, no, quite the contrary. In fact, the workshops seem to have been doing really well uh, during this sort of shift online. So while well, the numbers are down a bit, because people are just you know reticent to, uh, to commit to things that they don't know, The people that actually attend workshops, they've been getting a lot out of them. In many cases, actually more than they would in person, because it's just different opportunities to to interact. So I wanted to give a bit more of a showcase for that. And rather than just the the traditional, you know, you've got to do a workshop for a whole day or two days, actually have uh, slightly smaller workshops, uh, maybe half-day workshops, uh, as well as the the whole-day ones. So you can actually get a ticket for, say, three days. And you can choose which ones you actually want to attend. You're going to build your own um, set of workshops. So somewhere in between the traditional conference and uh, just workshop-based event. Uh, There will be one day of just normal conference talks as well. So if that's all you're interested in, you can still do that. Uh, And there's definitely something to be said for that. But I think just those talks over several days starts to get a bit too tiring in in the online format. So that's what we're experimenting with uh, this year. No more details than that just yet. Well, there is a blog post with a little bit more, but dates and and more concrete details will be announced soon. But I just wanted to, to pre-announce that because I'm, I'm sure people are starting to wonder what's going to be happening this year.
1: Yeah, this actually looks very similar to what NDC Tech Town did in September in 2020.
0: Yes, yes, they did. In fact, I, I gave a workshop at NDC Tech Town.
1: Yeah, so, me too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I thought it went really well. Overall, there were some things that didn't go as well, some things that did. They were one of the first to, to try that format, I think. Um, so, yeah, we'll have an opportunity ourselves to iterate that. But I do think that is a better fit for the the times that we're living in right now. And hopefully it's not going to be too much longer before we, we can meet back at the, the physical events because uh, there's definitely something that I'm missing. But uh, let, let's also embrace yeah, well, what we can get for now.
1: We'll run out of out of ideas of a new format. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't got many more up my sleeve, so this one better work.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Talking of new formats, we were talking about um, all the new podcasts that have been emerging. Uh, we're, we're one of them, of course. Last time we talked about Tooth Compliment, so the new podcast from uh, Matt Godbolt and uh, Ben Rady. Uh, so uh, Matt Godbolt, of course, particularly famous in our community for Compiler Explorer but they've actually had four episodes now and initially i sort of categorized them as being a bit more about games development because they, they mentioned that a bit in the first episode but actually they seem to have evolved more in the direction of testing but the latest one on observability as well but testing's definitely been a really important part of it and as someone that that's a, a big interest of as the author of uh, catch and catch two i've been following that very closely and um, yes, it's some really good stuff. So if you haven't been listening to Tooth's compliment Definitely listen to that. So it's, it's a really, really useful perspective on it. One of the episodes, not the last one, the one before, actually had James grenning on as a guest. James was uh, one of the original Agile Manifesto uh, signatories. Although he had a slightly different story about it in the episode, you'll have to listen to that to find out. And uh, he also talk about um, things like design patterns and other areas that are not specific to a language they're more about the the craft of, of building software which is a nice lead-in actually to another podcast so cppcast the the last episode as we record this was with uh, klaus Eagleberger talking about the the solid design principles it's another one that uh, I, I really appreciate everything klaus has to say and agree with most of it but not all we've got some slightly different. Uh, opinions on some things so we'll have to um we'll have to do something to to counter that at some point but definitely worth listening to to that episode if you if you don't listen to cppcast regularly because uh i think this is something that we we tend not to talk about as much in c++ circles as maybe some other language circles is the actual design principles uh particularly the solid principles they tend to be much more associated with object orientation which of course c++ does but it's not something that we we tend to embrace as like a first-class thing so much these days. So people shy away from things like the the, the solid principles. And really, they shouldn't. There, there's a lot, lot of good stuff in there. I just think we need to maybe qualify it a little bit more. Uh, Klaus does an excellent job of that. But um, yeah, that's uh, definitely one to, to listen to as well.
1: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I unfortunately managed to listen to that. Probably because my like kids birthday interrupted me from my regular flow of listening to CPB but I will definitely will, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, with all these uh, new podcasts around, it's actually quite quite hard to keep up these days.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but um let's maybe continue more about the testing topics so because uh in February we'll do a webinar with Claire. And that all started with the webinar which we did in the past with Arne Merz. Uh you probably know him from Simplify C blog. And he also did a webinar on like refactoring C code uh, together with us and JairBrains and there uh, he stated that tests are essential things to have prior to refactoring the code because you have to check how the things are going after you actually refactor the code and they are necessary as they are the only way to confirm you're like not breaking the code Uh, but then came a very natural question from the audience like what if there are no tests to easily check the changes introduced by refactorings that's a very good question, I would say. And so together with Claire, we've captured actually this question and she's a very right person to answer that uh, as a core contributor to the approval tests for C++ library and a speaker which often actually speaks about these kind of related techniques, how to, you know, cover dinosaurs, the legacy code with tests and to introduce them smoothly so she will try to present her answer, and me and Phil will be like hosting and trying to assist and maybe ask more questions about the dinosaurs and the tests. And uh, so the webinar is planned for February 16. You can find the link uh, in the notes how to like register and add the um, add it to your calendar. We will be streaming on YouTube, so but we do recommend to register, you know, to get all the reminders and the follow ups just not to miss it. Um, so yeah, that's about the webinar
0: interestingly both Claire and uh, Klaus who we talked about a moment ago they are both also trainers who talk about these subjects in in uh, two one or two day workshops because there is a lot of depth to this material so definitely attend this webinar to get a taste for it but if you really want to learn this stuff in depth do, do go to these workshops they are definitely worthwhile there's a lot you can get out of them from from the experts
1: yeah, hopefully you'll have some kind of uh, maybe approval testing or something mm-hmm. like that testing workshop at Silverplas and C.
0: Well, um, none of them have been uh, approved. Yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but that, yeah, that's definitely definitely on the cards. So, talking of being on the cards. So here's an image. If you're if you're watching on YouTube or you're you've got a podcast player that can show images, it should be showing now. So this is obviously ray traced, but uh, how how was this produced? Do you know Anastasia?
1: Yeah, like I know and I'm really really surprised <laughs> because this is done with the C make, you know. Um this is really pure fun. Um so like in a bit less than 600 lines of code in a simple C make list TXT, they presented a true ray tracer which actually like yeah shows you this. And, you know, the CMake language is often blamed for being inconvenient and leading to issues. And it's like, it's hard. The documentation is improving, but it's still not ideal. And the people are still having hard times dealing with the CMake. And what they did, they did a full rate tracer written in CMake. And it's really interesting to read through about how it was done, because there are a few challenges there. For example, like CMake math commons, they're nice, but only can do integers. So they were doing fixed point arithmetics and also they were like kind of computing square roots, vector operations, all this stuff in pure CMake, you know, and they even um, did a multi-core rendering invoking uh, like sub processes via the execute process command in CMake. So, wow, that, that that's actually big. I wonder like what else can be done in CMake? Is it the next universal programming language for us? What do you think?
0: Well, I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember the days that we were really impressed that you could do the Fibonacci sequence in uh, templates in C++, but <laughs> well, in uh, a, a compile time. Yeah. Uh, but now, yeah, um, you, can, you can do ray tracing with a build system. I think it just goes to show that, yeah, any anything that is Turing complete can pretty much compute anything.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, CMake really sounds like a true language these days because... Uh, I remember the times the debugger for CMake was introduced. I don't know the current shape of it. So I think the offer hasn't like moved forward with that. But I remember there was a debugger. There was even a plugin for intelligence based tools for CMake. And I was like, at that time, the idea of, you know, debugging the CMake script sounds crazy to me. But now I think like, okay, if I going to start, you know, writing a ray tracer in CMake, I probably need a debugger. That maybe a unit testing framework. That's more for you, Phil.
0: Yeah, um well, I think you do definitely need a visualizer.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, the, the, these things these days kind of crazy, but I really like the result. Looks nice.
0: Maybe the, the speed ups at uh, link time will help.
1: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think that's a nice picture to wrap up. What do you think? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've we got the ball rolling and we've ended up with a rolling ball. So <laughs> Yep. I think that's a a wrap for January. We're into February now. we better get started on the next one, I think. So (laughs) in
1: the meantime. Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: We'll say goodbye and see you next time.
1: Yeah. See you next time.
0: Bye.